Hey everyone, welcome to Decoded. My name is Sydney Lai. And in this podcast series, we explore the education of developers. How are we building what we're building? What kind of frameworks are we using? What are these popular apps and how were they built, right? And in this specific episode, I am super excited to go through a conversation with Cassidy Williams. She is the director of developer experience at Netlify. And we go through the conversation of how developer advocacy has transformed through these years and becoming really now content creators or just devs making really, really great memes that are super relatable. I can't wait to dive in uh, because there are just so many reference points that is so, so darn helpful. I think with that, one of the things that I want to definitely bring up is our upcoming developer conference. If you'd like to learn with us, uh, feel free to join. I'm going to drop the link in the description. It's the OutSystems Developer Conference, where you'll be able to learn from multiple different tracks all across the world in terms of building React applications or self-driving car applications. We have some sort of like car talk, something with that. But with that, you know, this is all made possible through OutSystems. OutSystems is a developer tooling that allows you to build enterprise and startup level applications. And it's really, really great. I highly recommend uh, you checking it out. We have so many different types of demos uh, on the YouTube channel. We can show you how we build different, you know, like uh, Stripe integrations, NFT wallets. We have, we have some like a candy dispenser up in there. So feel free to check it out and let's dive straight into this episode. Cassie, I'm so thankful for you to join and uh, learn more about your perspective of developer advocacy and really content creation. Yeah, sounds great. I'm excited to talk about it. And when it comes to dev advocacy, let's, I'd love to hear your perspective first. Like, How have you seen just the transformation of developer advocacy? What is it for context? And then how has that landscape really transformed from the early days, maybe even at like Twilio, something like that? all the way, or even tech evangelists at Apple, all the way to what we see today and, and through your roles in the past as well, Venmo, Netlify, et cetera. Yeah. And so I think developer advocacy really has changed and it's gone by many different names like developer evangelism, advocacy, developer relations. I'm a developer experience engineer. It's, there's There's a lot of there's a lot of different names for what it has slowly transformed into becoming. And I think Back when Twilio in particular was really creating this role and defining this role and, and other companies were following suit, it was kind of this hybrid role where people weren't sure if it were engineers on the marketing team or if it was marketers on the engineering team. It was just kind of this confusing thing where they're just like, yeah, they they need to talk to engineers and be engineers because they can code, but also we need to kind of sell things to people but engineers don't really like salespeople, but they like other engineers. So we need we need to figure out how this works. And and so it was always kind of confusing. And and people thought, okay, well, you just go to a bunch of hackathons and party all day. It's definitely refined over time of people strategizing about evergreen content and videos versus blog posts and and creating different types of advocacy groups, again, in marketing groups or in engineering groups or a lot of companies, including my own right now, is having its own department where developer experience engineering at Netlify or developer experience organizations in general are 
separate from engineering and marketing because it's less about just the sales part, but it's also about kind of like user research and user experience. And if your users are developers, then it's less about the combination of engineering and marketing and more about the combination of engineering and user experience and marketing and that sort of thing. And so it's it's definitely taken many different forms. And depending on who you talk to, the name of the role changes. So some people will say like, oh, well, I'm not a developer evangelist. I'm a developer advocate. Or <laughs> I would classify myself under developer relations. They all basically do the same thing. And, and I think the problem is it's inconsistent amongst companies. And so you kind of have to find out for yourself what is this company actually hiring for? Do they want someone who is much heavier on the marketing and doesn't need to be as technical? Do you need someone who is basically just an engineer who happens to know how to write a blog post coherently? There's a lot of different avenues that this sort of role can take. I personally tend towards more the engineering side of things just because that's what I am by training. And, and it's been fun seeing the role morph over time and also kind of get more credible over time, too, because there was definitely a time where people were like, we don't fully understand this, so we're not going to do it. Yeah, I have to absolutely echo that. I also I also think that we need to give a round of applause for really like content creators, influencers, all that side, because I think once that really took off and you have big companies, enterprises pouring money into these, again, ambassadors, advocates, influencers, content creators, then there was sort of the shift of, wait, our dev advocates are kind of like that. And it's like, wait a minute. Yeah. Wait a, yeah. And then these stars start to align. Right. And I think that when it comes to just developers in general, like let's actually take a step back because I think there's tons of different software engineers, right? There's, it's just like languages. Uh, wait, I'm trying to think of an analogy. I was thinking like people speak words, but every <laughs> people speak different types of words. But it's sometimes I feel like those who are not engineers, bucket engineers of like everyone speaks Spanish. It's like, no, we all speak different languages. We have different cultural reference points as engineers. And I think for dev advocates, we understand our role, but how do we kind of introduce our peers and other software engineers, essentially, that this role either exists or like, why should other developers care? Yeah, well, and I think it's very boots on the ground type of work where the relationships that you build in these kinds of roles, in developer advocacy roles and stuff, it's kind of the best user research that you can get. It's the best product feedback and ideas that you can get. It's the best way to build these relationships with developers where if you're working with students, if they really like your product and they learn it the best, then later they might be the one making product decisions or they might be the one talking to their manager saying, hey, I think that it would be good to use this kind of solution on our teams. And a lot of it is very long tail. And so it's this is the constant problem of how do you measure DevRel because it's something that's so valuable and the numbers do show it generally. Like whenever my team does write, for example, a lot of blog posts and talks and stuff about serverless functions, serverless function usage goes up and we get more customers over using serverless functions on our platform. But we can't quantify it well besides the fact that we show that it works. And it's finding that metric has constantly been a challenge because 
engineers just measure things in a different way where, where you see like, how is the product improving? How many lines of code have you written? How many pull requests have you made to delete things and, and add things? It's much fuzzier than that. And I think the this journey of either pursuant of metrics, right? Either the pursuant of metrics, which marketing team is very, very good at. But I think what you were talking about when you were introducing this user experience to developers is really how do we as developer advocates or a product or experience resonates, right? And I think that without a doubt, you as a developer, but also you as a comedian, you as a meme machine, right? You <laughs> resonate. And I think that when we sometimes look at various criticisms of development programming, there's this common example of like, hey, you're an engineer, you build something, this is you forgot UX, like this doesn't really resonate. This doesn't make sense or or it only makes sense to such a small subset of people. So, I mean, even taking as an example, I know you, you love mechanical keyboards and so much so that you've built one of the most hilarious products I've seen in a long time, <laughs> right? So many, so many news outlets have covered this, which you've essentially created a three-piece keyboard where you can copy and paste from Stack Overflow, right? So I'd love to hear your thought process on this. How does this relate back to just being a developer in general? And then really, let's talk about this, creating something that resonates with people. Yeah, I think it is a core part of dev advocacy and a core part of being in this industry in general is relating to your fellow developer in different ways. And one of my favorite ways to relate to other developers is by joking around about our our woes and our sorrows as as developers because how many times has one of us run into a course error of some kind? Everyone has at some point. Or how many times have you copied and pasted something from Stack Overflow and you're like, I don't know if this qualifies as writing code if I'm just copying it, but that's what I'm doing. And so the keyboard that you mentioned, it's it's called The Key by Stack Overflow. And I've been working with Stack Overflow for a long time. I've, I write their newsletter every week and helped them start it. And in talking to them, they've gotten to know me as a keyboard fan. And they were saying, Cassidy, there's this joke that like all you need to do is copy and paste from Stack Overflow to really be a developer what if we made that real? And I said, we can. And I know exactly how. And they're just like, wait, really? And so they thought that they were just going to like 3D print a joke. And I went way too far and build like a custom anodized keyboard made of aluminum that's fully programmable and has LEDs and really nice linear switches and stuff. And it's manufactured today. And so we we started with a silly April Fool's prank idea to an actual product where you can have a keyboard that just copies and pastes. And what's been fun is seeing all the people actually getting the board. First of all, it's fun seeing someone actually liking something that you make, which is a blast. But seeing people comment on it and being just like, I'm finally seen because this is all I actually do in my job on some days. It's good to see. And, and whenever I do make silly videos or, or jokes or, or something, I do it so that people can see that they're not alone in their various trials as a developer in, these, in this industry. Yeah, I think that's very well said. I think when you are able to create these inside jokes, essentially, you are able to be to be seen, right? It's this in-group mentality of like, oh, my friends totally know what I'm laughing about because this keyboard is hilarious, right? But for other folks, that might not resonate. And I'd like to dive even deeper into creating content that resonates, right? So I think that, you know, you mentioned a little bit about 
creating a lot of just funny, it can be videos, blog posts, just meme gag products that just look awesome. How do you bridge the experience of developer advocacy and content that is so personal, right? A lot of the jokes that we create, a lot of the memes that we create as devs is basically shit that we just experience on a daily basis and it's freaking hilarious, right? And then you have a lot of these developer tools, enterprise tools, which is in a way removed from that human comedy. And so how is that, how have you found to bridge that gap or what is that process of, in a way, almost the enterprise tooling need and then also just you as a person, you as a developer and creating that resonance, right? That content that really resonates because there's there's almost kind of a gap if you if you feel what I'm saying here. Yeah, yeah. And I think that's where you kind of have to apply actual rules of comedy and humor to tech stuff to figure out how to make it resonate with people because every sentence someone says is an opportunity that this is this is something that I strongly believe is an opportunity for a pun, for a rhyme or for a one-liner. If you can turn every conversation you have into a pun, rhyme or one-liner, someone will find it somewhat funny. And as you get consistent at that, the repetition is recognition of the joke. And sometimes one-liners aren't that funny, but because people are expecting it, it starts to become something where they feel in on the joke and they feel in on something. And an example of this is, for example, I, I did some TikToks for my company. And for that, all I did was show a feature and I was showing it really fast. And I was saying, hey, did you know you can make redirects in Netlify with one line of code? Here's how you do it. Or, hey, did you know that you can do this with Netlify? Here's how you do it. And at the end of every single video, I would just say, it's done. And that's it. Saying it's done is not funny. It's just me saying that it's done. But at the end of every single video, people start to expect the it's done. And then by the time that we started tweeting other features that where it wasn't even me on TikToks, it was just various things like that, people would start responding to our company's tweets, it's done. And it became a one-liner that people started to expect and they felt like they were in on the joke. And so I, I think that developing those kinds of things that people can expect, it feels like they're in on something and it starts to build that relationship with them while also showing off features of your product and stuff. And and for humor in general, once again, if you can consistently get a pun, rhyme, or one-liner out of people, it gets them to laugh over time and, and they start to expect that kind of humor from you. Yeah, that was really, really well illustrated because I think that you are creating a ritual, right? You're creating a ritual and we as developers absolutely have rituals, right? We have the rituals with just being really weird about our keyboards that needs to be set up a certain way. The monitors need to be set up a certain way. We need to have certain types of experiences as we're go, you know, we, we check into Hacker News first thing in the morning, right? That's our, that's our Wall Street Journal, essentially. And so we have all of these shared experiences and what you just listed out is these shared rituals. And I think one of the things that also reminds me is that there are different types of communities, right? So for example, you're big on Twitter and then you've also started to grow a relationship and a community on TikTok. What are some of the differences amongst those two platforms in terms of your developer audience? Let's start with that. What does that look like? Oh man, it varies widely on these various platforms. And I admit like, yes, I make TikToks, but TikToks aren't as full of developers as Twitter is. And so it's oftentimes the ones that are more popular on TikTok are the ones where tech happens to be there 
as it's a joke about other things. And so it's it's definitely a much more broad one. And meanwhile, Twitter is very, very tech-centric, and it's people kind of expecting me to write articles and, and those kinds of things. And if I go off-brand, they're kind of like, ugh. And that's just, I kind of have to say, I'm a human, please. Yes, I know I haven't made a TikTok in three weeks. Get off my back. It's, it's like there's, there's an expectation there. I found what has been really nice, especially in the pandemic, is having a community on Discord, because on Discord, you can kind of chat with people a little bit more and and, uh, get to know them a little bit more without it being for the entire world to see, at least it feels like. And that's kind of where my closest communities have formed, just because people are able to ask questions without worries of any random stranger coming in and saying, like, your code is dumb. Or you've done something like that wrong and you can kind of develop really good friendships by just being there for people and able to answer their questions and have your questions answered too. And so then how do you see really this like shift, this movement of developer advocacy to content creator to like pack leader, which you just described with your discord? And also, what does this mean for developers who are currently not developer advocates, right? What does it mean when now you have kind of a open definition of content creators. Content creators are no longer just like Vine stars and Instagram, you know, just like random co- like comedy. It's also verticalizing heavily into just engineers in general, right? We, like we are a subgroup. We are a addressable market. I don't know if that's the right term, but something like that. Yeah. Yeah. And so first of all, there's definitely the danger of parasocial relationships, where as you are, if for those who don't know what that term is, it's it's where, let's just say you're a very big fan of Taylor Swift and you listen to all of her albums, you watch all of her videos. Over time, you might start to think of her as like your friend. And if she does something wrong, you're disappointed in her as if she's someone that you have a right to be disappointed in. And that's how these relationships happen. <laughs> but it's very, very real. And so with a lot of these streamers, content creators, Twitter people, Instagram people and stuff, building these communities throughout, but also in the tech industry, there's this very weird dynamic of the parasocial relationships starting to become social and figuring out where the line is can be difficult because if you kind of start to get popular over time relatively quickly, you go from being just like, yes, I want to be friends with everybody who's interested in my content. I'm so excited to, I can't actually be friends with everybody who is into my content. You can't scale yourself. And it's something that is is very, very real. And I think a challenge for quite a few people, including myself, where people kind of expect certain things from you because you're so nice in general on the internet. And it's something that a lot of dev advocates are realizing more and more because the content creation aspect is such a big part of our jobs now too. And and you, it's hard to step away at the end of the day. You can't just be like nine to five laptop closed because you're still on the internet and, and it's, it's a big part of that. With all of that being said, I think as developers might be considering dev advocacy as a certain role that they might want to pursue, you have to consider the difference between an audience and a community and the type of work that you want to put out there. Because if you want to build an audience, then you it's kind of just you want to be famous. And that's totally fine. But an audience goes away when you go away. But if you have a community, 
as you keep producing content for them and stuff and and you foster relationships with each other where it's not just everybody one-on-one with you, but everybody working with each other and, and you build a space for them where they can feel safe, where they can feel heard, where they can be included, then when you go away at some point, if if ever, the community still sticks around and the relationships are still built. And I think as dev advocates, it's it's something that we're not always trained for. And I know myself, I've made plenty of mistakes in learning the pains of humans are not variables that are like in code. They're they're much more challenging and, and solving issues of codes of conduct and solving issues of arguing in, in certain communities can be so challenging because it's not something that you're necessarily prepared for as much as you are saying, hey, check out React. This is a great framework. I can show you how the use effect hook works. It's very, very different and deeply challenging. Humans have way more variables than codes do. Yeah. I just, I don't know. What are you going to do? I mean, are you like, is this person sane? I have no idea. You just have no idea. You truly don't. And it's something that is so rewarding, but also so challenging at times where like, again, these discord communities that I'm a a part of, I, I have one that's like through my Patreon and I'm in a few others. I wouldn't trade them away because I love them so much. Like they're genuinely great communities where where I can see people are learning, people are getting jobs because of it, people are forming friendships because of it. But stewarding that kind of community is a whole other level of work beyond yourself as a dev advocate outside of being a content creator and everything. And I think it's work worth doing, but it's something that you have to determine, is that the direction you want to go in? Because it's something that can turn into a lot and you, and you will need help. And again, with the whole audience versus community thing, you probably will want a community for people to support you over time. And with an audience, you'll want that too, but those relationships are less significant. And, and those relationships can, again, the parasocial between all of those is, is a very blurry, blurry line. All of it is fascinating and it's it's challenging, but definitely interesting because people change their careers because of the work that you do, because you're doing it for them, not necessarily just for yourself. I think that's really well said. I love the fact that you introduced this parasocial conversation. I've actually never heard of it before, despite being a sociology major. So I think that that relationship aspect is really, really important and it really highlights this framing of an audience versus community. Because what this actually reminds me of is you've probably heard of the platform Orbit. It's it's for developer advocacy management. They talk about Orbits. We as developer advocates, we also have this framework of or this understanding of Orbits, right? So you have your immediate core, your immediate core as a developer advocate. And maybe, maybe this is like other dev advocates, other avocados, other people who literally works in DevRel. Then you have the second orbit, right? The second orbit, which is this like maybe other engineers, this third orbit, which then is maybe your community, people who are building, people who are in Discord, Slacks, uh, meetups, like the OG meetups. And then really the, the last and furthest orbit is that audience. It's that awareness piece. And maybe they haven't, they haven't really uh, converted yet. So I think when it, when we talk about all of these orbits, it really goes back to It sounds like, you know, what you've been saying so far is building these types of experiences, not just content, right? So you've been talking a lot about experiences, but building these experiences where you're able to resonate with different levels of orbits. And with you, 
I guess, where does your creativity pull you, right? Because your creation is one example is, you know, a 13 second clip or your creation is a newsletter for Stack Overflow, right? So how do you, as a creator, as a designer of engineering experiences, how do you really encapsulate or prioritize anywhere from the 13 second to all the way to, hey, this is like developer content in the very traditional sense. Right. And so I think for content in general, especially for work and stuff, I try to prioritize for the largest circle possible, the audience of as many people as possible, because you want people to actually see it. There was some statistic or quote or something saying that like, if someone is going to try a SaaS platform, they need to see it like 14 times before seriously considering it. And, and the, that's just some average statistic and stuff. So you want to kind of go as wide as possible and hit as many keywords as you can that people might be looking for as they're trying to build with particular technologies. And then with that, build opportunities to be in the closer circles and build opportunities for them to find a community in a particular area or build a space for them to ask questions and post concerns and comments and ask for help. I think by doing it that way, there's as much content out there for everybody and as many people can get resources as they can. And those who want to go deeper have the ability to and have the opportunity to. I really appreciate that because I think that for a very long time, especially as dev advocates, since we've been in the industry for so long, we've seen this kind of nascent role really transform. And I think it's also, again, transforming in a way with the whole influencer content creator, that kind of aspect. They're, they're like two different worlds. They're totally different worlds. They could merge. They don't have to, right? And I think when it comes to a lot of traditional developer advocacy programs, as you know, it's the meetups, right? Back in the day, I remember DigitalOcean has some of the best meetups because they- They had they, great oh, meetups. <laughs> right? See, and this is exactly what we're talking about. You and I know exactly what we're talking about when we say a DigitalOcean meetup. And only those who kind of like are an engineer or work in developer advocacy knows that experience or even knows kind of like the holy grail that they hold, right? And with those developer advocacy, or I should say the, the meetups, they don't scale the same way right? You have a video, you have a 13 second clip, it can get 8,000 views. You, you can't get 8,000 people to a meetup. Exactly. Right? I guess yeah. it's a conference, but, but I guess, <laughs> you know, from, right. But I think from your perspective, how do you either tackle or almost prioritize anywhere from traditional dev advocacy to kind of like, what is the next frontier of dev advocacy? Yeah. I, I struggle with it because like, again, pre-pandemic and everything, when I was traveling and when I was going to a bunch of in-person things, I I loved the in-person stuff because there's the unnamed track at these in-person conferences, the hallway track, where you're just in the hallway before the next talk, mingling with someone, drinking water, doing whatever. And you don't get that kind of hallway track in these digital experiences. You might get all the technical content, but you don't get the relationships that you make by just joking around with someone afterwards or by saying, I saw you taking notes. Could I see what you were writing down? Things like that. You don't get that same thing. And I think there's a world where both can exist. I don't know what that world fully looks like yet. I think we're definitely moving towards the mass online experiences and, and evergreen content and video because 
we have seen so many people go to so many events that just wouldn't before. Um, for example, last week we had Jamstack Conf and it was a big conference. We had about 20,000 people registered. It was amazing to be able to have so many people in the chat and and just thousands of people talking and watching the talks and stuff. And, and there were so many people saying that before when it was in person, they wouldn't have had the opportunity to do it, where I chatted with a person who was from the Ukraine. And they said, honestly, I, I just am never able to travel outside my country. And so this was a perfect opportunity for me. I think there's still so much value in those kinds of events. And there will always be value in those kinds of events purely from the reach. But there's also so much value in the in-person and the local event to build closer relationships with people. And the world is always getting both bigger and smaller with the internet. But I think and hope that in-person events do still have their place in dev advocacy purely because the relationships that you build at those kinds of events, they are different. They just are because you you are with that person, you're laughing with that person, you're talking with them at a level that's not on a Zoom call. And I think also it's, I don't want to speak for you, so correct me if I'm wrong, but I feel like it's made us who we are today. Yeah. It's going... Yeah, was going to these things and seeing other nerds with just pens on their backpacks or stickers on their laptops or just being weird together. Singing karaoke with a bunch of nerds that can't sing is a blast. Some of the relationships that I've made at these kinds of in-person events have legitimately changed my entire career trajectory in general. And and it's a type of networking that is it's so much more personal and, and feels more real because you have talked to that person in person. And I do think that you can make some incredible relationships online. Don't get me wrong. I have some internet friends that I've known for a decade where I finally met them in person last year and stuff. And and I, I do think that there's still plenty of spaces for that online and, and you can make some really good friends that way. But being able to see that person for real in person is not something you can really compare. Yeah. Yeah. There's this brotherhood or sisterhood that I definitely feel, especially when you're able to kind of come together and and kind of what you were saying earlier, kind of this shared pain of just being stuck on a bug for so long and then someone else helps you out. And then you're like, am I crazy? Was I blind this whole time? This is so <laughs> obvious. Right. Or kind of like what you were saying earlier is like, I'm just copying and pasting. And then you're having an existential crisis. And as I was sharing earlier, I had that this week earlier as well. I was like, making a demo. And I was like, wait, um, all I did was copy and paste. How do I, how do I spruce this <laughs> up? How do I make this? But you totally get me, right? Because you've, you've probably been there as well. Right. Yeah. And once again, I, I do think that there's, there's space for all of these things and, and being able to bond with people. It's, it's important for our entire careers. And recently my entire team got together and we met each other in person for the first time. And it was weird because we had only talked to each other online before. I had never met any of my coworkers before this offsite. And granted, we were still socially distancing and in masks. But the fact that we were able to meet each other in person and get right into it as if we had known each other for ages was such a cool experience. And I do feel closer to them because I have talked to them and stuff. And, and we're social beings. And so I think building these relationships, whether they are in person or online, is kind of the key for finding new opportunities, for getting new perspectives, and for just getting your messaging out there. I think that that's actually a really great point, which is relationship building. I think that oftentimes 
you know, I'd love to hear your perspective. I, I don't think typically when people say developer advocacy, they also think of relationship building, but for some dev advocates like you and I, we actually know that that's actually kind of the bread and butter because we can copy and paste, but we all have our relationship and we bring that relationship wherever we go as dev advocates. So I think how does building relationships play a role in developer advocacy, not just you as a person, but maybe also you as a brand or a tooling? And I also think that this is this could be one friction point because especially if you're coming from a traditional software engineering role, you don't have that many external meetings. You're basically building, fixing, building, fixing, shipping. You know what I'm saying? So yeah, I'd love to hear your perspective on this. Yeah, it's very, very real. And I do want to recommend a book. There's a book called Build Your Dream Network by Kelly Hoey. And it's really an entire book just about relationship building. And I think it's so valuable for anybody in the tech industry to read on this subject. But I think seeing people who transition from software engineering to dev advocacy, a lot of times they think, okay, I have to get famous now. And that's not what you have to do. So some of the best dev advocates I know are not very active on Twitter and are not that popular on, on social media. It's just merely a tool to connect with different people. And I think when you are looking into this kind of role and you're, and you're trying to start to make content and stuff, it's about putting yourself in your user's shoes, trying to make things for your users that you wish that you had when you were learning a given technology or that that might be useful for them as as they're exploring different options, giving opinions that might help guide their decisions as, as they're building. But then once again, getting involved in communities and figuring out how can you give these resources to people and then hopefully they can give you something back. Not that you're doing it to get anything back, but whether it's feedback, just being an active user, playing along with jokes, like in your tweets, something, your community members and, and the relationships that you build are something that are so valuable and that can really propel your career forward. Yeah. And I think that relationship building is more of a holistic approach to developer advocacy. It's of course not a requirement. And you were saying this earlier, kind of as a recap, which is you have different types of developer advocates. You've got those who are really strong technical writers. You have those who are really strong software engineers, those who are really good speakers who could do more of the speaking tracks, podcasts, content, whatever it is. And and I think that it's funny because with most teams, they know how to build out a software engineering team, right? But when it comes to developer advocacy, they're like, wait, are you all the same? Do we just have multiple of you? you and, you know, <laughs> I think- How does this work? <laughs> how does this dark magic? Do we, is this right? And I think I, I would I would almost say it's like, the way I would approach it is actually having a team of dev advocates where you have different types of skills because people have different interests and different skills. I, you know, I'd love to hear about like how you approach this and maybe even correct me if I'm wrong, if, if Venmo was your first dev advocacy role or, or how have you seen the structures of dev advocacy change, especially when tackling the needs of these companies having changed in the past? I mean, like even just 10 years, five years, it's crazy. Right. Yeah. And, and I think before in my first few advocacy roles, it was, it was very much like, make sure you write a blog post a week. You travel to two conferences a month and you go to a meetup every other week. Like it, it was very much like just create these pieces of content and go to these things, go. And meanwhile, when I joined Netlify, I remember thinking to myself, 
oh, this is a team run by someone who actually knows what dev advocacy is, where there was no travel requirement for the team. Nobody was expected to travel to conferences at all. What we were expected to do is figure out what our expertise is and lean into that. And so some of my teammates, they're much better at the project management side of things. And so whenever our team is building something together, she is is all in on the project management. One of my teammates is amazing at video and focuses all on video efforts, editing videos, putting out good videos. Some teammates are better at live streaming. Some teammates are better at short blog posts. Some are better at long blog posts, those sorts of things. And so as we've figured out our specialties amongst ourselves, it's not so much like, okay, because I'm good at live streaming, I will only do live streaming. It's just, that's what I focus on. And there's a trust there where we just kind of trust each other to build the relationships that we need to build and put out the content that we need to put out to get the job done and to get the signups up or to get the metrics better for certain technologies. Yeah. And I think as you're talking about this live content piece, I would really love to kind of tie a bow on this and and understand like kind of like a some of your closing thoughts on really the role of meme culture and creating jokes for developers as a way, as a product? And really, how do we correlate memes with essentially brands that are companies? I think Taco Bell is a great example. I'm super memeable, yeah. but but I mean, yeah, <laughs> the fact that it exists is just a giant meme. But I, I think the importance of memes as a role in the dev journey, let's go with that. Yeah, meme-driven development. It's real. And I think that By leaning into the jokes, leaning into the memes and leaning into lightheartedness, maybe not even necessarily straight up slapstick humor, but just lightheartedness in these kinds of roles, I think it shows an empathy for what developers go through when they do have struggles and stuff. And it shows that developers are in on the joke. And I think those two things are so powerful because it makes people feel like they're a part of something and it feels like they've been listened to. And by showing that you as a team, as a developer, as a content creator, as a dev advocate, anything, hear what other people are struggling with and you're vulnerable enough to say, I also struggle with this and I'm smiling about it. You can kind of show people that it's it's okay to deal with another core's issue. It's okay to kind of just ignore your linter because you just want that commit to go through. It humanizes this very serious technical field. That's amazing. Cassidy Williams, thank you so much. You are all over Twitter, all over TikTok. I'll be sure to drop your links below. And I'm just super excited that you exist as a human being. I think, you know, so many people, so many people I've talked to, I was like, yeah, you know, I'll be be talking to Cassidy. You know, other engineers are like, (laughs) what? Right? Like you are a legend, right? An absolute legend. And I mean this in the least creepy way. I remember articles about you when we were in our like mid twenties because because <laughs> I, I was looking back I was looking back I was like oh that's that one chick who goes to other like you were the other person I was like I remember her because we've been doing <laughs> meetups in Devril for so long and for I was so like I've, long. I've like literally I didn't I thought she died like I don't even know what happened <laughs> to her and I'm like hold up a minute like <laughs> these are so it's awesome I think that. You're an awesome person. Let's just get other devs loving the content that you make, the education that you spew out, because I think that that's really the most important piece is as we as dev advocates, we just want to educate each other and just be better engineers and better meme makers. 
So Yeah, exactly. Well, thank you so much for that. And there's dozens of us who have been in dev advocacy for this long. And I'm hoping that number only increases over time as people really figure out how great of a role this is. Thanks again. Yeah, what a wonderful episode. Let's just say you are, you're done. You're done as a dev. You're done today working on your tickets and you just want to enjoy some memes. If you just really want to enjoy some good memes, definitely check out Cassidy on TikTok. I believe it's Cassidoo, C-A-S-S-I-D-O-O, Cassidoo, right? She's on TikTok, she's on Twitter. Her content is gold and it's just, I think you feel seen, right? As a developer, you feel super seen. And I think it's really, really just a great way to build relationship with other developers. It's really great to build this like bridge between what we do as devs and then also what we create. So with that, thank you so much for joining today's episode. If you have any recommendations for this series, you're like, hey, I'd love to listen to this person or have you talked to this person, feel free to let me know. My DMs are open on Twitter. Feel free to give me a link, give me a send. And I really enjoy building just educational content with other dev advocates, other engineers, so that we can help deliver this education to all of those who are listening. So thanks so much. I'll see you in the next episode.